Welcome to Coffee, Beans, and Booze. I'm Jasmine. And I'm Shyla. And we're thriving in a small town. It's caffeinated Jasmine and drunk Shyla. It's time for Coffee and Booze. Clink! Hey Shyla, how's it going? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing okay. We're both having pretty busy weeks. You guys are in the height of baseball season. How's it's that going? Baseball land. It's going well. I uh, Yesterday was a crazy day because uh, our four-year-old, who we affectionately call Knuckle Joe. Love the knuckles. Um, he, mm-hmm. He's, yeah, he's he's himself. Uh, he started wearing these shoes all the time uh, that are like Carter's boat shoes. They're mm-hmm. like a leather, like a pleather, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, shoes that Noah had had, and Noah never wore anything like that because my little rigid friend Noah liked mm-hmm. only Nikes. And would be mad when we had to size him up because, like, that's he not loved okay. He loved his shoe. Yeah. Comfort. Ugh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He only ever had one pair of shoes. That was it. Like, whatever. And mm-hmm. when we would try to venture into other lands, that like, he was not having it. But Lucas, on the other hand, he found these shoes and started wearing them. But he wore them so much. And he wears them with everything. Like, little joggers uh-huh. and his boat shoes. Like, he's just got his own little thing going. Um, he wore them to the point that one, they're too small and the soles were falling off of them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dude, you got to throw them away. And he's like, I'm not throwing them away. So I went on an adventure yesterday and ended up finding him a new pair of shoes, which were they he happily the same wore ones? with his joggers. Were they the same they ones? They were the same ones. Yeah. Yeah. The same ones. Mm-hmm. So that I, was my life yesterday. I know yeah. something a little you bit about this. about this. I do, because <laughs> as, as we've said before, you have known my children nearly their entire lives, including little Aaron. I think you met him. He was like 18 months old or something and Aaron went about two years of his life where he would wear nothing but red shirts and so it could be a Spider-Man red shirt or it could be just a plain red shirt but he literally would not wear anything but a red shirt and I remember like other people would say to me like well you should just tell him that that is unacceptable and I was like Mm, or I could just not care about this one. Like, as long as it was a clean yeah. shirt, as long as I, I just didn't buy non-red shirts, what did it matter? Like, it didn't matter at all to me. He also was a no-tag kid, which lots of kids are. But, um, you know, yeah. I was like, it wasn't... No, was a no-tagger. Yeah, it wasn't a battle for me that I thought was going to be life-affecting. You know what I mean? He it wasn't the hill you were dying on. Correct. He was not the hill I was <laughs> dying on. But more than that, I really didn't think it was going to create... Uh, a kid who was going to grow up to somebody who couldn't be flexible, who couldn't do other things, or who was only one way. Um, and anybody who knows Aaron now, you know, he's 20, almost 21 years old, and he is quite an innovative thinker and more than happy. In fact, he is so adventuresome sometimes as his mother, I wish that he would not be so from motorcycles to everything else, you know. And so um, <laughs> I think sometimes we just have to remember that that these don't have to be um, the things that, that we, like you said, the hill to die on but absolutely so knuckles has new shoes yeah knuckles has new shoes he proudly wore them today Mm -hmm. um but i thought maybe in in that light you know just thinking about this that we would talk about whether we were rigid or flexible Mm. thinkers this is this is a good one Mm -hmm. yeah so it's kind of uh the the quiz i i I mean i really just adapted it myself from like material so Uh i i keep an opened mind Am I saying yes or no? Yes, I keep an yeah, open mind. I do. do. I do. I have already decided without listening to the other person. Oh, see, this one's tough for me because I try to listen, but I have to be an active, like I have to, like literally if someone's talking to me, I'm sometimes like listen to all their words kind of thing. So I would say I only get like a 50% <laughs> on that one, but I try. Yes. Uh, I accept that we all have different ideas and am open to new opinions and choices. Yes. I am. My opinion is best. Yes, my opinion is best, since I'm being honest. <laughs> yes. I am patient. I uh, I, I am, am patient most of the time. Yes, I, I am patient. <laughs> I am. Yes. I don't want to take the time to listen to others. No, I do want to. I want to listen to them. So my issue with that one is, okay, we're kind of the yeah. same way this. Like, uh, I've, I have already decided, and mostly, like, my thinking, my thing about like already deciding something is that I take so much time internalizing mm-hmm. strategy mm-hmm. that like I've already planned the contingency for the contingency, and like mm-hmm. I I have, you know, not everybody. We all have different skills. I feel mm-hmm. like one of my skills is like you know the bird's eye view, the like that mm-hmm. kind of thing. I just and had so this conversation. I have a hard time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I have a hard time sometimes with like. 
okay, well, how about this? Like, and then I have the 25 reasons why that won't work. And right. I don't mean to be that person. But here's I just the thing. You're about it. <laughs> I think that think people are confusing two different things. There is a time to be listening to everyone's opinions. There is like, there is brainstorming time. And then when we've gotten past brainstorming time and we're now in plan and implementation, I don't like when people are in implementation and now they want to go back to brainstorming. Yes, now, if it's, if it's a new problem, if it's a new thing, of course, then we re- we brainstorm the, the new thing. But when we have yeah. already decided and we are chucking down and we haven't gotten to assessment yet, then yeah, don't go brain brainstorming now. You know, like that's yeah. the thing. We can tweak, but I don't want to yeah. restart. Yes. Are there no, more questions? Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's mm-hmm. a good, yeah. So mm-hmm. um, I'll interrupt because I'm right. Um, I will interrupt because I have ADHD and I can't help myself. But um, uh, I will interrupt because I feel that I'm not my my correct opinion is not being heard. <laughs> I'm just a really bad interrupter, as you all as you all know. Yes. How about you? Are you an interrupter? Um. Well, uh, not. Not in my, like, everyday life, but definitely mm-hmm. when, like, Derek and I argue, I'm like, no, no, mm-hmm. you need to hear me, and that's the only thing that's important right now. Anyway, we'll keep that's moving. That's won't listen to this anyway. Correct. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, I let the person finish explaining without interrupting. So that's the antithesis of the earlier ones. We already know that that's not true of you. And it's not. And semi-true of me. Mm-hmm. I listen attentively. I do listen attentively. I listen so attentively that I, I wind up asking people to repeat themselves if I didn't, like literally if my mind is wandering. I'm like, I'm sorry, can you say that again, please? Because I really want to hear what they say. Yeah. yeah. How about you? You a good listener? I'm a, I'm a I'm an attentive listener. I yeah. think you are too. I mean, You're a great listener. I think it's, mm-hmm. Thank you. I get a little sidetracked sometimes. But I remember being like in high school and people would be like, I you know, sometimes I don't hear people because I'm like sidetracked and mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't. I, I never understood that. Like, I, I mm-hmm. was, like, somebody who, like, when someone was talking to me, I wanted to give them, like, full attention. Mm-hmm. And, then of course, that changed, like, the more, like, things, like, you know, more mm-hmm. responsibilities I had and, like, that kind of stuff. But, like, for the yeah. most part, I like to make people feel like they're hurt and validated. I find myself saying to people, um, particularly students, I will say, can you hold on one minute so that I can give you my full attention? Like, if I had a dollar for every time I said that to students, I would be yeah. a millionaire because I will literally say, because they're, I'm a Mrs. Bookerd like all the time. Like, I'll literally say like, who Mrs. Bookerd me? Like, you know, because they just say my name. And I'm like, yeah. can you hold on one moment so that I can give you my full attention? Because I want them to know that that it matters and that I that I'm recognizing that when 12 people are talking, I can't. So I try right. and I do the same thing at work yeah. too. Like I'll say, can we hold on till John's, opi- you know, John's statement is done so I can fully listen to Susie's, you know, statement or that something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, yeah. Okay. So the other questions, uh, my mind is closed and rigid. No, I don't think so. How about you? I don't think yours is I keep my no, no. I keep my mind flexible and open to new possibilities. That's probably true of both of us. I'm like addicted um, to new possibilities. Like I actually <laughs> think that sometimes people probably are like, could she just close the door on this one and move forward? Like, you know? No. Yeah. It's, it's your dopamine hits, right? It is. Oh, live for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So I keep, uh, oh, hold on. I'm, I'm open to new things. Yeah. I think both of mm-hmm. us are open to new things. Yeah. The other side of that would be, I'm afraid of new things. Um, <laughs> here's, I give time for questions and explanations or I know everything already and I don't give the other person the chance to explain. <laughs> I, again, <open. laughs> Derek's, percep- Derek's perception of this. Do you ever feel everybody like everybody else's? Do you ever feel like on this podcast that we should have like the behind the scenes after hours time where it's like, this is about my professional life and then the after hours one is about but this is what my husband would say about me like yeah, this yeah, is what yeah. my children I mean. would say like, it's a totally different thing like like coffee beans and booze after dark like it's like a totally uh, different after, thing after dark so so I open for questions and um and opinions always but I have an ulterior motive so here's my confession of the week Ken- Kenzie loves my confessions of the week um my confession of the week is I do that because I do not want to hear your shit later so I don't have the right motives yeah. for why I do that. Um, I'm sure that this test would like me to say that because I'm happy to alter my opinion. But by the time I get to the end and I'm like, all right, any questions, concerns, anything else we need to discuss? Like I say that at the end of every meeting, every committee, anything I ever do. It's because I'm like, tell me your shit now because I do not yes. want your email in 15 minutes. Like you've got yes. your floor now. Yeah. 
There is that. Is okay. Yeah. I mean, it's it, the sidebar. Mm-hmm. That's always hard, a hard one. Okay. Mm-hmm. The last one here is I allow time for inter- information to sink in or I make choices quickly and without giving time for the information to sink in. I don't like this question because there are two different types of leaders and the second one has a connotation that it is negative to make a decision right away. I would say I take in all the information and then swiftly make a decision. Like I'm not one to make a decision 12 days later. I think that you do a real disservice because new information may have come around that now you don't know. Yeah. But I am also one who likes to have all the current given information. So I I reject your question. (laughs) I think it's – yeah, well, I make choices quickly and without giving time for the information to sink in. I think that's different than – Mm-hmm. then um, I in, I ingest the information and then I'm able to process Correct. out. Like That's this, what I, I think say. this is implying, yeah, I think this is implying mm-hmm. like that you just make a decision because you think that without like really not no. acknowledging the information at play. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely a marinator. Like mm-hmm. I, there are things that I'm, I can swiftly like, yes, this needs to happen. No, because mm-hmm. I, I have kind of hard and fast in my head. But when something new presents, like sometimes I need a minute to like mm-hmm. digest what's my 48 hour role, right? right? Like if I, it's something I'm hyped about. You're I'm so much better at that I, than I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Like I know that I'm going to come off as, you know, all the good female words people mm-hmm. use for us in our leadership and whatever. Yeah. So yeah. A, so a piece anyway. to this is I'm starting to get better at allowing for the discomfort of not an immediate decision um like like I said I am a pretty quick decision maker once I have the information and people all the time will say to me like thank you for being decisive or they like me on a committee because I'll be like all this discussion was great friends but now we really do need to come to a decision like we can't just keep tabling life like you you can't do that right we won't make any progress and so I had one of those moments this week because as you know we are successfully mounting our production this spring this weekend thank you to you and Derek for amazing work and amazing things that that have happened to that and so many community members and we had a big shakeup the night before opening night which is that we had um, some students who were pulled out and needed to quarantine um, from our pit, not from the, the and they're sort of separated into a separate area and things. And we've done all we can do yeah. to keep everyone very safe. And it was not due to, it was not due to a non-safety and it just is it just happened yeah. it just was yeah. okay Correct. so um but we had to make a big shift and we had to make a big change and we were literally about to leave the school and uh, much of our team was there there were about maybe eight or nine of us there and we were literally getting our coats on to leave and I get the call and I find out who it is and what it is and how this is going to affect things and everybody sits right back down you know and I put mm-hmm. my head to, I just kind of put my head in my hands and we sat there for a good seven eight minutes in probably what was the most uncomfortable time our team has ever had you know, when you are ready to leave thinking everything is fine and then you are literally yeah. jarred and, you know, everybody was like, oh my gosh, Jasmine, that was the most uncomfortable time and we're, we're glad we didn't know what to say and we just wanted to make it better. And every time somebody would try to be like, it's going to be okay, everybody just kind of would be like, how about we just give it a minute kind of thing. And there was a time I wouldn't have been um, open to that that discomfort before needing to talk and then have a decision made, you know, kind of deal. We, we had to make a decision. But what I'm getting more comfortable with is I can be – flexible without saying, oh, we're just going to move forward in sunny roses and sunshine. You know what I mean? I can say, I also think that when people do that, when they instantly jump right in, sometimes you start to solve the wrong problem. You know, before we could yes. before we could solve the problem at hand, which was finding the musicians, figuring it out, seeing if we could still have a student balance, like all these things that were important, we had to have the discussion as a team that said, are we all comfortable moving forward? Because for me right. – Yes, looking back, you're like, wait a minute, this was not that many people and there's a whole bunch. But you had to have that. And in minute one, no one would have been ready for that conversation. You know what I mean? And I think that goes back to what you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. And you're talking about the difference between toxic positivity and genuine optimism. Correct. Right. Correct. Like there's this like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you'll get over it. It'll, it'll just stay positive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, it's okay to say you know in this moment this is kind of crappy and you Mm -hmm. know in the end this will work out because it it, invariably everything does but like that whole idea that we always have to be like it's fine every no Mm -hmm. it's or or the simple the simple quick thing it's fine we'll just do this we'll just do this we'll just do this we just won't have we just and i was like hold up the first question though is are we moving forward together because at that moment we can't just throw things at a wall if we haven't talked about the big thing you know, the big thing being, right. do we keep moving forward here or is this not a time to? And then it helps you stop, examine where you are, and make sure that we're all working on the same 
the same problem. Otherwise, we're working on 100 different things, and that's not helpful for a team. And so I think I've learned a lot about that, that I can be flexible while saying that doesn't mean just go, we'll move to any solution. Let's let's figure out the right, right what is the problem at hand so we can find the right solution kind of thing. And we did, which led us to actually some different opportunities. Um, this is this is probably going to only mean things to those who, who really understand theater or who really care about theater in this way. Um, but we had a student who, so we, we were down a musician and we have a student in our cast who can cover that part and realized very quickly that he actually dies in the show before the part that he would be needed. And so he could go and become part of the pit. It became this incredible learning experience for him and our entire cast was so excited to cheer him on and the like it just added this whole other level to teaching students how to problem solve in creative ways instead of just natural ways would have been find somebody to come fill that spot instead we could do it in this way that was really meaningful to everybody so I would say that's the height of flexibility so how about you would you say you're flexible rigid what do you think yeah um (laughs) I think I'm a I'm a Flexibly rigid person. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm a very flexible rule follower. So does that make me the same thing? Well, that that's my problem, right? Like uh-huh. it's it comes down to like I don't know, and and it really comes down to two. Like you know, working in a in a heavily volunteer environment, um, it's really hard, and sometimes you seem rigid when really it's just looking out for the best mm-hmm. of, of every for everyone, right. and, and for the best for the organization. So that makes it a little bit challenging too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm a work in progress. We'll get there. Are we I, all? You know, don't you want to be though? I kind of want to be. I don't want to be done working. And I definitely yeah, don't think I our mean, clinkers are done. Where I think we're all working. I hope we're all working on ourselves. Yeah. So, yes. It's all good. So, but speaking of super flexible in their yeah. lives, you want to talk a little bit about today's guests? I'm super excited. Yeah. So we have uh, Kelly O'Brien, who mm-hmm. is coming to you guys here in a little bit. Um, she is a teacher at Milne Hershey School and the mom of two adopted daughters mm-hmm. um, and just a really cool person. Someone I met, uh, she's also a fellow Dutchman. I'll go LVC. Go um, and someone I met when she and her husband and two daughters began volunteering at the Karen Cupboard and became huge volunteers during the pandemic mm-hmm. and really just stepped up in in really great ways and are just they're just such a delight to know and uh, I have to say um, one of their daughters texted me the other day to ask if it was okay to use me for a job reference and I just thought that was so that was so endearing because Mm -hmm. I get that a lot but sometimes it's parents asking on behalf Mm -hmm. of their child and I thought that was really cool that Kelly gave her the tools to say hey just shoot her text and you know ask if it's okay and Mm -hmm. you know that's I think those teaching some really good skills so go mama she's doing well she's amazing Um, and And they are an amazing family The, the kind of family yeah. that truly makes community. And so I'm so excited for everybody to uh, to hear. Hey, Shyla, how's it going? I'm doing pretty well. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. I've got to say I'm pre- super excited to end my very crazy busy day with the two of you ladies. So yes. I'm excited. I'm stuff. so excited. Why don't you tell good our guests who we've got with us today? Yeah, so we have Kelly O'Brien, uh, who I know because of her service at the Caring Cupboard. Um, and I'm sure at some point we, our paths would have crossed in lots of other ways, but uh, mm-hmm. Kelly and her family have been um, incredibly helpful during the pandemic. Um, and so, hi, Kelly. Welcome. Welcome to Coffee, Beans, and Booze. Hey, thanks for having me. You I'm betcha. Really glad to be here with you guys today. Oh, you're so sweet. Well, we were so excited to bring you on because there's just, there. well, there are lots of things that we could talk to you about, lots of <laughs> angles we could go, yes. right? Yeah. So what's the burning question you have for her? So the burning question I have is Kelly can we talk about what it's like to be a preacher's kid because I want the real lowdown because my husband's a preacher's kid and like I went to Catholic school for 13 years and I think I spent a lot of time in church but he tells me I got nothing on him like whatsoever so you know I know I know you are many things beyond being a preacher's kid but you know you you talk sometimes a little bit about how that kind of defined you as being resilient of moving around and those types of things but could you give us a little bit of a lowdown on what it's like to be the preacher's kid Yeah, it's funny because I think that really shaped a big part of my life, and I didn't even know it until I look back on it now as an adult. Uh, It's funny because just on Friday, so as a teacher, so I teach at Milton Hershey School for those Mm -hmm. listeners that don't know me, and uh, the core course that I teach right now is African-American history. I call it my black history course. We just haven't renamed it that. And we were talking on Friday. It was the anniversary of the writing of Lift Every Voice and Sing um, in Black History, which is a 
the black national anthem. And I said to my students, I was like, how many of you grew up in, in school, in a church listening to this song? And some of them like looked at me and stared at me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? I was like, you guys did all grow up going to church every Sunday. And I think that like maybe the generation's kind of like pulling apart from that, which I get, you know, our younger uh-huh. generations maybe aren't as much churchgoers, but like, and we were at church every Sunday and every Monday and every Tuesday. And every, and every, Tuesday, and every dinner and every day in between, right? And every, every, meeting. every, every day. Yeah, and it was just really our life, and and in a great way, there, it was a community to us. You know, all the people we knew and did things with were from church, and my best friends were from church. You know, and I didn't know anything different from it. And even now today, my sister is married to a preacher. She married a, a Presbyterian preacher, though they're um, affiliated with, like, a free church down, down in Florida. So we really never separated from that mm-hmm. lifestyle. So so I loved it, and, um, you know, I didn't. I don't think I'd want anything different Um uh, I also saw like the inside of the politics of I would say of of oh, yeah. uh, church because yeah. my you know my my dad and mom always you know were always talking about like oh well what's going on with mm-hmm. this or this or that and you saw a lot of the administrative things so in some um, ways it probably you know, helped you see it point. yeah a little yeah. bit more human yeah. than maybe sometimes people you know it's funny definitely uh, my my father in law was a UCC pastor for his entire life you know and so when I married into the family and stuff um it was a little bit right before a lot of the Catholic Church had the issues with with so many um cases oh, yeah. coming out against priests and stuff you know and it was interesting because my father in law really kind of pulled me aside and he said I know it's hard to be part of something that's having so much criticism and and you have to remember that you have your own experiences that you can still love even though there's a scandalous thing going on. And he said, I just want to tell you, as the pastor of a church, there's a scandal in every church, you know, every (laughs) single church, every single piece. And he worked sort of at like what we would have called the diocesan level. I think there's the synod level is what they call it. And he said, Jasmine, it's, it's everywhere. You have to hold on to the, to what you feel is the best way to practice something, you know, and that, and it meant a lot to me coming from, like you said, that administrative piece, because it is humans Mm -hmm. who are administering something Mm -hmm. that just because it's faith based Mm -hmm. does not mean it can be infallible. Right. Like, you know, in that kind of way. And so I'm sure that opens your eyes to a whole community of of realism and things yeah yeah definitely for sure that's yeah yeah, I'm sure that there was a whole level of expectation that came along with being the preacher's kid right don't they say like the 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 one two punches a preacher's kid and a teacher's kid oh right like (laughs) you know there's expectation people in the community know you uh but you don't seem like the rebel type (laughs) to like have to worry about being told on (laughs) oh I, I remember this one time that we had to wear jeans and t-shirts because like the chair and choir, we were singing a song with jeans and t-shirts. And my mom was like, you can't sit in the, the second row of church today. <laughs> we, had to, we had to sit up in the, in the balcony. <laughs> that can't be right. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Hilar- it's hilarious to think about. You know? Yeah, It's so funny because all the little old women in the church always loved Mark. You know what I mean? They would always like bring him candy and whatever else. And they still do. They're like in their nineties yeah, and, and Mark's like, mom will be like, oh this gosh. is so-and-so set you this box <laughs> <laughs> and it, then it carried on air, and I'm like, what is this? This That's is crazy. Funny. But, you know, uh, but he talked about, like, you know, the good of the pressure, too, that you really do get to see community doing for community, for, you know, different oh, yeah. ways to care. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah. not necessarily a bad thing. You know, sometimes I think religion gets a bad rap and that it's mm-hmm. a conformist sort of thing but that's how you become a successful adult in some ways well, right yeah. is like you have to conform to some norms of society mm-hmm. and you and know, decide the, the ones that you a, want yeah. you know like we yeah. we talk about this in my household a lot about the difference between faith and religion faith being this unwavering yes. thing you might have and religion being the way that you choose you know you were just talking about your sister's married to someone who's presbyterian you know like like you change and mm-hmm. you move you, you move around the way you practice maybe but not right. necessarily that faith that lines beneath it and and so yeah yeah so definitely yeah I know what you mean, though, when yeah, you were saying about I, your class, okay. too, about that the students, you when you were like, you know, you grew up going to church. I teach a music society and self class at LVC as part of the connective courses. And we do a, um, a piece on, like, how religious music is, is so ingrained in, like, the traditions of what we do in life. And when I say, like, so did any of you have, like, those things? It's like church mice sometimes, you know, <laughs> like, you know, no pun intended there. So I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah we definitely have, like, a, a change in, you know, like, mm-hmm. definitely our, I think our younger generations now which is weird for me to say because I felt like I wasn't. I was going to say, you kind of did. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think they're kind of uh, they're pulling apart from that, you know. Mm-hmm. I think I've been fortunate because just especially, especially since I've gone off to college and grown up in the last, you know, a couple of years, I've come in contact with a lot of different persons of different faiths. Um, 
and been able to learn from them, you know, how they practice their faith and, and, and just be able to appreciate, you know, what that means to mm-hmm. them. And, and like I, like you said, with my sister marrying into it, mm-hmm. even if it's a different Protestant sure. religion, you know, it is all about just like what you practice, what, what you do with your practice and how you give back with that. And, mm-hmm. and if it means that you're, you're practicing that because you are looking towards a, a life in a different, you know, in, in heaven, or if you're doing it because you want to give back to your community, it means different things to different people. And so I'm really glad to have come in contact with people of all different faith practices in my, mm-hmm. in my life. And yeah. important for your girls too. Mm-hmm. So, so you are oh, yeah. are married yeah. uh, to a, a nice, a wonderful man that we both know quite well. I know I've known him for LBC. I, I couldn't even probably name for you how long ago I've met you guys through LBC. I mean, I don't even know at this point. You know, I feel like we've always worked together. We've always done things together there. Um, but you have two girls as well. Um, mm-hmm. That and and we'll get into. I'd like we'd, we'd love to talk a little bit about your adoption experience in that. But you know, just going off this this conversation of like religion leading to service with used to doing family service together. That seems to be a really important value um, for, for you and for James mm-hmm. to instill in your girls. Um, and it sounds like you've been doing a good bit of that over COVID yeah. here. So can you talk a little bit about why that's important to you and, and in your family unit? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, when they first moved in, um, and when I say they first moved in, um, just for, again, the listeners, mm-hmm. we, uh, we started uh, fostering our daughters in 2017. Uh, so we've they've lived with us for about three and a half years and we adopted them in 2018. You know, I'm, you know, we just, it, being new parents and not having raised them from birth, we thought to ourselves like, you know, what, what are our values as parents and how do we want to raise our, you know, our children? And they became teenagers very fast. It's amazing how fast <laughs> these years go by. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you want them to be good people. You want them to be loving people who love others and, and care for others and, you know, just show compassion because you just never know like what somebody has been through, you know, the day before that mm-hmm. day or the, what they're going to face the next day. Um, and so, you know, we've, as far as like, you know, religion goes, which we just talked about, you know, we've, we've gone to um, LCBC, which is a big church uh, organization in the, in the Lancaster community in Harrisburg. It's a uh, life changed by Christ. And I think we've gotten, you know, we've learned a lot of values from that and the girls as well. But I think just for us, and especially the situations that the girls have come from, you know, situations of poverty and hardship, and and they don't remember that much from their childhood. Our older daughter, Amaya, mm-hmm. does, maybe not so much Bella. But we want them to know that, you know, just in our communities here, you know, sometimes we see Americans kind of, I think, sometimes in in their own homes or in their own communities, see poverty as something that's outside of mm-hmm. uh, their own experience. It's like something if they're not experiencing, it's, it's somewhere else. It's not right. It's not right. Not, not right next to them. And it is. And we have to recognize that. So there's always something we've told the girls, like, even though we have and we are experiencing some, you know, good things, we always have to be aware of what's going on around mm-hmm. us and how we can serve others. So, you know, um, you know, we tried to pick up going to the caring covered well, pretty soon after they moved in. I think we started going there like, uh, early 2018. Mm-hmm. I think we've been there for almost yeah, three years been a now. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's good. It's, it's really good for them to just know, like, that this is a place that we serve others and to know that other people, you know, appreciate, uh, you know, the work that they're doing. And even mm-hmm. if it's, you know, behind the closed doors, you know, we don't, most of the work that we're doing, they're not even, like, coming in contact with individuals who come to the mm-hmm. caring cupboard. Um but it's really good for them to know. But I think, they, even, yeah, like, even the lingo of yeah. how you talk at the caring cupboard about like for families of this size or for family needs of this. I can remember my son; mm-hmm. he probably wasn't much older than than your oldest, and I remember him saying to me like, "I hadn't really thought about that. This is a family of four or four or, or three or two or whatever coming in the oh, door." Yeah. And it started to make something human to him, even without having to interact with the humans. You know right. what I mean, kind of thing. And it, and it is yeah. interesting how it starts to make things very real. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the girls have seen, you know, on, on times that we have been in there when community members have come in, the girls have seen some of their classmates mm-hmm. come in. And I think that's really hit home for them to know that some of the classmates that they've sat in school with and just by sight, they have never known that they might have been in need. That's really hit home for them to, to know that, you know, they could help out community members who are just like them. You know? Yeah, and that happens so young. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my son being in kindergarten and he does his little nativity project. And he was giving me a hard time about it. And I said, Noah, you know, at the end of the day, there are kids in your own class who use the caring cupboard. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and was able to name someone. And I was like, wow. Like, you know, he's pretty intuitive and like he gets Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff. But I'm like, you know, it doesn't take long 
for, and he had never seen that person in there, and it's not something we talk about, and he would never go to school and talk mm-hmm. about it, but, like, he, like, understood He knew that, he like, was doing something there was someone he knew. Yeah, yeah. and that, there was a mm-hmm. connection there, and sometimes that connection really helps, mm-hmm. but, yeah, you guys have been rock stars. Uh, they go in and sort things and get ready for Monday morning, That's and awesome. one day I thought someone left the lights on, but nope, they were there plugging away at, like, 7 p.m. <laughs> oh, wow. So one of the things I really admire about you and James is that you adopted children who were like, as my husband says, he wishes he could have had children starting at like age four because then they, <laughs> he didn't have to go through like infancy. Um, but yeah, all joking aside, like you you adopted children who came with, you know, some some stuff, right? Like kids who had been through some really big challenges in life and and that's no small feat to undertake. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about what life looked like? What made you get into the idea of adoption? And then uh, what your adoption story looked like with your two beautiful girls who are not little anymore? No, we were just talking about how they're much older (laughs) than I have them preserved in my brain. Yes. Well, they're still little. We do make fun of them because they're kind of short. But <laughs> I'm four um, ten, so yeah. that's not it. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, so James and I decided we wanted to grow our family through foster to adoption. Um, this is, you know, always our intent. Um, when I say always, I mean um, it was. I was probably around like age twenty nine when we decided we wanted to have uh, kids. And when I say and when I say have kids, it's, we did want to always adopt. Uh, you know, we didn't want to have kids of our own. Um, and I think it was working at the Milton Hershey School that really mm-hmm. drew our hearts to it because, you know, one of the things that we have an opportunity to do as teachers at the Milton Hershey School that's different than public school is we're allowed to have students uh, go out with us, you know, in pairs or mm-hmm. three or four, and we can take them out to dinner or we can have them at our homes for dinner. It's much, it's kind of like a family-like atmosphere, mm-hmm. which is really neat. And just the types of situations that a lot of our students come from that are, you know, difficult – I said to James at some point, I said, you know, it would be really great if we could provide uh, a home and a family for, you know, children that, you know, also are in tough situations. We even have foster student, foster care students at our, mm-hmm. at our school as mm-hmm. well. Um, and so we didn't really know exactly, you know, what age we wanted to start with, what gender, anything like that, uh, race, ethnicity. Uh, but our, the uh, adoption agency that we chose, it's called Common Sense. It's in Camp Hill there absolutely wonderful just so personal and caring um they were just really flexible with us and they said they could be flexible with the types of children that were um uh, recommended to them and so we just kind of like took all kinds of recommendations of children that came, that were um coming through like the state agencies and the emails that they were getting and um you know we there were it, it wasn't it was tough like it was tough because like we had to wait several months and had to go through several interviews. We even met different kids that didn't end up getting matched with us. Mm-hmm. It's difficult. Like I would never, I always talk to all kinds of people about it. I've always opened with, you know, different uh, families who are thinking about it. And I'm, I'm never um, shy about saying like, it's not for the faith of heart mm-hmm. going through the fostering process. And uh, the fact that you could even have kids placed in your home and taken away mm-hmm. because uh, the courts, you know, want to make sure that, um, you know, Children are first placed with their birth birth parents, and that's important. Um, but Maya and Bella, we met them in in uh, about June of 2017, and they were placed very quickly with us. They were uh, they moved in in August of 2017, mm-hmm. and it's always been such a very uh, I would say perfect situation. When I say perfect, I don't mean that it's always been perfect. <laughs> I mean like sure. our match as a family has mm-hmm. been I I would say just something. Uh, a gift from God or something. Meant to be, I, sure. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And we we love these girls from the moment we saw them on paper. Um, but, you know, growing as a family, it's a unique thing when you have, uh, you know, we were strangers to them mm-hmm. and they were strangers to us. And, you know, think about, that, you know, that, that idea of, you know, like you're right. not living in the same house and you have to, like, you know, figure out each other's intricacies. Just like if you're, it's like you're dating your kids. <laughs> think about your dating. Here's, you know, two, think about your, here's yeah. two new roommates. Yeah, yeah. You've never met them before. Yeah, this is how exactly. Go. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, like, you know, like they, 
tell you're trying to teach them how to do different chores and teach them how to do some different things. It's like, you know, you have it exactly like a new roommate. Yeah, yeah. You got to figure things out. I'm going to take you the know, trash out on Tuesday. Where... You're going to get the mail on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Sure. Yeah. There were times where I felt like we were completely bonded as a family. And then there were times where I thought like, wow, I, I missed the last seven years. Or I missed the last mm-hmm. 10 years. You know, they moved in when they were seven and 10. And I felt like completely like, uh, you know, devoid of, I'm like, what, what happened mm-hmm. here, you know? And, but it's, it's been great. Like the last couple of years as we have really grown as a family. And that's what I tell people who really want to get into this process. I said, like, if you're willing to put your heart into it, you know, just put in the effort, mm-hmm. like it will come. And, you know, and you also have to be willing to think about what it means to like, uh, be involved with other, other family members. Cause we, we are in contact with the girl's birth mom mm-hmm. and, um, and it's it's been a good relationship for the most part, but there's you know difficulty mm-hmm. time to time that we uh, are again we just t- we've taken on that responsibility and that challenge. So so it's all a matter of what people are willing to do. But I I really think um, you know more and more people. There's so many kids in the foster care mm-hmm. system in Pennsylvania and across the country, and so many kids that just need a loving home. That you know for those people that have a, have a uh, space in their hearts to the space in their homes it's, yeah. it's something to, to think about you know? it's definitely something where you have to kind of forego ego in some ways like you know thinking about what their relationship with their mom looks like now and what that could look like later yeah. and really thinking yeah. you know, about that kind of stuff but I, I wonder do you sometimes grieve like not having been there for their like you like they're growing up right you missed the first steps yeah, you missed first time. like mm-hmm. that kind of stuff like do you ever think about that in terms of like you wish you could have been a part of their lives then too oh oh absolutely um you know they lived for about three years with their mama and pop pop they they're their you know kinship grandparents and mm-hmm. they fostered them for several years and they're just these wonderful people who they go they're actually visiting them this weekend Aww. and you know they visit them pretty regularly and um every once in a while her mama will dig up pictures and send them to me and they're sweet little girls with curly hair when they were, you know, four and seven or, you know, when they were younger and, you know, just stare at them. Can you tell us, you know, a lot of people are hesitant to adopt children who are a little bit older. When you and James were talking about adoption, you said this was sort of part of your plan along the way. Did you give thought to that? Were you, especially working at Milton Hershey School, which is a a school that provides such opportunity to so many students who come from so many varied backgrounds. Was that part of why you were sort of open to doing so? Because I think it would be great for our listeners to hear about, about what it's like to adopt a child who's older and whether or not that was part of your intention. So, okay, so first of all, you guys are going to laugh, or maybe the mm-hmm. listeners are going to laugh, but I suck at babies. <laughs> um, I like that you know your limitations. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, I feel like the only babies that I've ever been good with have been my my own nieces and nephews, and even sometimes with them, I, like, hold them, and I'm like, ah, oh, they're crying, oh, pass them back, <laughs> you know, like, I just... Babies are I, I think that's yeah. No, it's just been... And I, and I talk to a lot of people who that maybe not a lot, but some other you know mm-hmm. women who are like th- that way as well, and it's just never been my thing. Yeah. But uh, also, when I talk to friends who have also thought about the fostering and the fostering to adopt process, this concept that older children come with additional trauma or baggage that's not going to come with younger mm-hmm. children, I think isn't necessarily that true Mm -hmm. like a child that's born in a traumatic situation that you know their mothers carried them with trauma could have just as much physiological stress that they bring into the world with them Mm -hmm. as a child who's older so and and you know we learned all about that when we were in um training to become foster Mm -hmm. parents um and i'm really a believer in the idea of Uh, nurture over nature. Mm -hmm. The idea that like, you know, with love, with compassion, you know, with just a lot of care and, you know, a lot of sweat and care, uh, you know, children can make it. And I have noticed in our daughters resilience that I just didn't think that human beings could have. I see it a lot in my students at Milton Hershey School. They're just tough, Mm -hmm. you know, they're tough. They're not whiny about a lot of things that you see in some kids. Mm -hmm. They, I wish they cried more, honestly. I I wish that they just let it out sometimes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they just have that, like, that toughness about them that some kids... Their coping is just different. Yeah, their coping is just different, yeah. 
And so, and so like, I think as adults, you know, we should say, we should say whatever a kid's been through, you know, we, we can be there and we can get through it with them because if they have that resilience then we can, we can build them up as well. We can have that resilience yeah. with them. You know? But you, you do, you guys do such a great job of providing, you know, from what I've seen and, and we've been around each other a, a lot over the course of quarantine and, mm-hmm. and stuff, um, is that you provide a consistent and loving home. You know, you're not, you didn't, you didn't bring children into this chaotic world that you both lived in. You know, you kind of have this consistency and the expectations are there and that's very clear. Um, and I think the girls probably have, mm-hmm. have, you know, been able to really resonate with that because it's obvious that you guys care about them mm-hmm. and you want the best for them. And, and you think about that. You're very intentional about that. So kudos to you. That's yeah, hard. Definitely. That's a hard thing to do. <laughs> definitely. No, yeah. it's amazing. Well, and, and really, I was thinking as you were just saying that about really being um, not only accepting, but open to the differences of the background that children may have. And if they can mm-hmm. roll with a resiliency with mm-hmm. it, well, then why can't we as adults mm-hmm. kind of step up to that? I think that could kind of be said for adult to adult mm-hmm. right now, too. I've had more conversations in the last few weeks about just if people could give each other a bit more grace and understanding in these trying times, Mm -hmm. you know, and really understanding that we all cope with things a little differently. We can wish for something a little bit different for each other, but really acceptance and support is what would so much get us through, you know, and and so I think your lesson here on that could be, could go in so many different levels of that. Yeah, absolutely. So Mm -hmm. do you get the opportunity to talk to other people about adoption and the encouragement of adoption often? Is that something... Um, you know, sort of advocacy for adoption? Yeah, I mean, um, we had the opportunity while we were in the fostering process to talk with other people through our agency if we wanted to. So that was something, you know, we were provided. Um, Like I said, I feel like more and more uh, over the last couple of years, because we've been very open about you know, our mm-hmm. foster to adopt uh, journey, I guess you could call it on, you know, on our social media, mm-hmm. people know about it and they've come to us and have asked us about it. And as they've thought about entering the process have just asked us to talk about it. And we love talking about it because I just want people to know about it mm-hmm. and, and know that it could be an option for them and their family. And, and it might not be an option for every family, mm-hmm. but if it is, I want people to know everything, you know, about it. So so yeah. I, I really love when people reach out about it, even if it's somebody I don't know. I mean, I, I, I remember talking to my dental hygienist about yeah. it, uh, who I just met, and I and I just, I really do love talking about it. Well, one of our previous guests was mm-hmm. my sister-in-law, uh, Courtney. Mm-hmm. Uh, Courtney mm-hmm. has a gigantic TikTok following. She does. Um, and, she, and she uses yeah. it to educate about, about adoption, adoption and misconceptions, yeah. you know, and, and so while yeah. she's dancing and shaking her thing like a pro, yeah. she does. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. Um, you know, she's, she's educating people, particularly on the misconception of it yes. you know the misconceptions like you know like babies are the best way to go yeah you're absolutely right not everybody oh, yeah. loves a little baby and quite yeah. honestly those years were not always pleasant <laughs> you know? although you kelly are stuck in the teenage years yes. which you know you know my my daughter Rosemary and i are delightfully close we're, we're we talk to each other every single day several times a day you know all kinds of things but those teenage years were rough they're rough time. <laughs> you can skip a little of that. It's not so bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, but everybody's going to get there eventually, so right, we just yeah. fast forward right to it. That's right. <laughs> and it like, pull that band Exactly. Right <laughs> <the band-aid. laughs> That's funny. So you were uh, a, a LVC grad as well, uh, so yes. part of the alum alum group here. Um, mm-hmm. And did, did you start at LVC as a secondary ed major and knew that you wanted to be in social studies, or was this something that like you came upon later? So I actually started off as a music secondary ed major. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I came out of high school and I played the piano. I liked to sing. So I was in the choir. Like all good preacher's kids do. Like all good preacher's kids. (laughs) (laughs) You're right, though. I did do that at church. So you're not wrong. Um, but I, and I thought I wanted to do it as a career, you know, my, my idea was like, oh, I like to do this. So I also want to do this as a career, you know, but after a semester, I decided, uh, it just wasn't strong enough of a passion to, to teach it. So I switched over to social studies. Is that what it was? Yeah. Well, it was just the theory in general, (laughs) all the theory classes. It was sight singing back in the day. They called it when I was there at 8am. Why did we have that class at 8am? Tuesdays and Thursdays, 8am. No one wants to sight sing it to at that. No, no. Oh, you're so right. Oh, it was horrendous. So, but but it's, it's good because I mean, how many, how many students change their major and, and, you know, 
you know, switch around nowadays. It's good for me as a teacher now because as my high schoolers, because I teach upperclassmen, I teach, you know, mostly 11th and 12th graders. So it's great because they're all being told, you know, you have to know exactly what you want to do with your life and pick it out, pick your major, <laughs> pick it's a college, crazy. do what you want to do or, or pick a work, you know, mm -hmm. if they're going to go into the workforce, pick what you want to do. And I'm like, guys, chill, mm -hmm. you know. You, you don't have to know exactly what you want to do. I always, they always laugh about me wanting to be a music teacher because they just don't see that in me because <laughs> I really don't do love being a social studies teacher mm -hmm. now. But it's my way of saying to them, like, if you don't figure it out right now, you're going to figure it out eventually. Even yeah. if you don't figure it out to your mid-20s, maybe you'll be 30 and you'll figure mm -hmm. out what you yeah. want to do. We all, but we all figure it out. And once you do, you know, as long as you're happy and you're doing something mm -hmm. you're passionate about, then that's what's really important. Because if you're just getting you do, paid, yeah, that's yeah. not And you do you have know? passion, because I've heard you talk about yeah. mm -hmm. what you're able to do at Milton Hershey and the, mm -hmm. and the courses that you teach and how much that, that means to you and impacts you and, and your worldview. Um, so yeah, you have a, mm -hmm. you teach African-American history, black history. So this month, I'm sure, is a, mm -hmm. is a really fun exercise for you guys in your class, right? Black History Month being mm -hmm. February. Yeah, I mean, I always tell my students, like, you know, we're doing this all year, but, right. for, to, to, yeah. but to push things out to the school is really important to us. You know, we make banners. We try to uh, make little flashcards that we hand out to the rest of the school during this month of, you know, famous black Americans that they might not know about, um, doing quotes that we give, that we hang up around the school, um, you know. So it's really important that we, you know, educate uh, the rest of the the rest mm -hmm. of the classmates that aren't getting that um, we also had some really great programming for Martin Luther King Day at our school which I think is just amazing because you know most schools take that day off mm -hmm. and we make sure that that's a day on and that our students mm -hmm. go through programming to talk about uh, MLK as an activist and all the different other types of activism that we can be as a part be a part of um, as a Milton Hershey community but also mm -hmm. um, just individually and I just love that. I think this year, especially, um, our school has embraced some of the things that have come out of the Black Lives Matter movement mm -hmm. and come out of the the ways that we are starting to see ourselves and see each other in a, an American community. Mm -hmm. And I think that's great. Yeah, yeah that's definitely. tough. I, you know, I, I think one of the things that, that comes up in conversation a lot is like, you know, we celebrate uh, Black culture and cultures of other people and that we're like acultural, like that, that whites mm. are acultural. And so you, you are in a heavy minority school, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a large percentage as a white female teacher. So how does that come yeah. out? And what are some of the ways that you kind of hedge that like discussion about, well, you can't know what it's like to be this, or you, you don't, you, your culture is so predominant in the, in the, the, the you know, region, even, even in the region, right? Yeah, sure. Mainstream sure. culture. Like, mm -hmm. how do you deal with, with those questions or, or maybe pressures? Or maybe you don't even have that. Maybe I'm just projecting and that's possible too. So. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, you, you're not projecting at all. But so I've been teaching this course now. This is my, I think, fifth year now teaching the course. And I think I felt really uncomfortable with it when I, when I started. And rightfully so. It was like, it was the white elephant, no pun intended, in the room. <laughs> I, I was the white elephant in the room. Um this idea that, you know, I would be the white teacher teaching this black history class, but it's, it's kind of terrible because even our, our teaching staff at the school is not that diverse, even though our house parent community mm -hmm. is more diverse. Um, but the fact of the matter is, um, in the United States today, as a, an example, um, only 3% of our teaching community, uh, nationwide is black males. I was just talking about this with my students wow. the other day because one of my students said, hey, I want to be a teacher. And I said, please, please right. be a we teacher. Want we you. need please more. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so I think one of the things that my students can appreciate is that I bring this knowledge to the table. And I bring years of research to the table. This is something that's really important to me as an academic mm -hmm. and I and I try to sympathize with them and I can never empathize because I don't have their experience and I and I never will and because I put I lay that right out there in the beginning like I'm not part of this experience and I can't be but I will bring you all of the knowledge the academic knowledge that I can all the research and all the scholars and all the black voices um, to this conversation um, and that's what I can do for them. And then a lot of them bring the experience. And not, not all my students in my classes are black. It's great that we have, um, you know, mm -hmm. students of all different experiences coming to our classroom so we can have those uh, difficult discussions often. Uh, 
And I think that's a great thing. And I think just over the years, um, I, I've just uh, tried to build a reputation as the teacher who I'm going to bring what I have to bring, students bring what they have to bring, and we have those conversations and we talk about scholarly things. And then they are able to go out into the world with uh, the, you know, the knowledge to have conversations with others and educate them. And, and that's a true really partnership important. of yeah. learning. Yeah. Isn't that so yeah. much like sometimes it, it, mm-hmm. sometimes I get so frustrated with that idea. Like, you know, I, I was raised that you don't talk about three things, money, politics, and religion. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like you grew up in this world of like, you just don't talk about those things. And like, how cool yeah. is it that you're giving kids the tools, students, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a- adults really, the tools to be able to talk about those things in their communities. Because well, I how think else that's, are we going to learn right, about two exactly. three of the most important things on yeah. earth, right? Like, you know, you know yes. money, politics, our society, yep. which is really what that is at the end yep. of the day, right? And religion, which is faith or not on so many different levels. And yep. so when you take mm-hmm. those things out of discussion, right. it's, it's really a shame. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Kelly, it's been a uh-huh. real delight to meet with you um, and to, to have – there's so much more we could talk we about could. every interview yes. end this way. But we have three questions before we go, so we'd like to, to get <laughs> sure. the, your three questions answered. Yes. Uh, so – Jasmine represents the first part of this. I am. So I'm the coffee beans in this relationship. And so what <laughs> is your favorite coffee beverage? I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't buy coffee out because I'm. my kids will tell you I'm super cheap. So I just make <laughs> coffee, and regular coffee in the Keurig, two sugars, and a little bit of cream. All right. Nice. She's a purist. Yeah. She's right. back, to the, back, to the, back to the originals. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Shiloh, yeah. yes. uh, she gets the fun second question here. Yeah. So we want to know what's your uh, favorite adult beverage? Uh, I have a preference of cider. So I love like Red's Apple Ale mm-hmm. or any type of like hard cider. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Well, our third and Foolish. final question is most definitely our favorite question. Shyla, go ahead and kick yeah. it off. So we want to know, Kelly, what's your passion? Uh, my passion is just showing other people love. I always tell my classes at the end of each semester when they're, you know, going off, you know, past my class, I say, um, you know, make sure that your love is easy to see. Every day that I enter my classroom or every day that I, you know, am at home, I always try to make sure my love is easy to see and always ask yourself, is your love easy to see? So that's my passion. That. Fantastic and appropriate Aww, because even that. though this will not uh, air for a few weeks here just yet, yep. um, it is Valentine's Valentine's Day, and we are spending it with Valentine's love, so very appropriate. Yes, absolutely. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for sharing not only your love with us, but also our listeners um, from everything on, you know, being an incredible educator um, and a wonderful adoptive mom, Um, and so we we just thank you for sharing all of your experiences with us. So, thanks. Thank you. Thank you again. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. I'm Shyla. And I'm Jasmine, and we're thriving in a small town. It's Kevin and Jasmine and Drunk Shallow. It's time for coffee and booze. Clink!